Hello and welcome to your daily dose of commentary. Today we start with the topic. There is something wrong with people who overhype IQ tests. So some dude had some shitty take on Twitter. This dude Wayne Burkett said, if you take the IQ isn't real and standardized tests only measure wealth maximalist seriously, they are telling you they believe there's no way to tell who is smart and who isn't. Really consider what they're saying. They're telling you that they go through life totally and completely unable to tell the difference between smart people and dumb people. They're encountering people all day every day and they think there's no repeatable way to tell which ones are the smart ones. Either that or they're suggesting some kind of mystical voodoo in which they can somehow tell who is smart and who isn't. It's just that this is completely unquantifiable and 100% resistant to measure. It's kind of like if I said, I have no accurate way to measure the temperature of my water for in my shower. I have no way to quantify that specifically. And this person goes, well then what, you can't tell if it's hot or cold? No, I can tell if it's hot or cold. I just can't quantify it. I can put my hand in it and be like, yes, it seems hot to me. It seems medium. This seems cold. And if you said, what, what's the exact temperature? I'd be like, I don't know. I have no fucking idea. What am I, a fucking thermometer? If a thermometer didn't exist, I would still be able to tell if water was hot, medium or cold, but I wouldn't be able to quantify it exactly. Like on an individual level, based on your own cultural biases or just bias in general, you will assess some people as smarter or dumber. It doesn't mean you're correct though. There are people that I consider to be blithering idiots that another person will consider to be extraordinarily smart. That there is wide disagreement on who is smart and who is dumb demonstrates that as individuals, we cannot assess who is smart and who is dumb. There is no person alive or dead that universally would be considered smart by everyone. No one. It must be the case that we are wrong in our assessments of people's intelligence. It doesn't mean that we don't all have, by living life, have some things we judge people on for right or wrong reasons to believe they're smart or dumb. For example, I think anyone obsessed with IQ is likely a moron. Doesn't mean they are necessarily one, but when I see someone doing that, I'm like, this person probably uh, lower end of uh, the intelligence spectrum, whatever the fuck that is. My direct response to this dude was, this is a false dichotomy, you idiot. It's just, it's a philosophical way of saying like it's a false binary, right? Psychologists openly debate what intelligence should even encompass, let alone how to test for it. Simple minds strive for complex things to be reduced to a single single number. So some glorify and use IQ tests far beyond their design purpose. Don't get me started on how people still use long debunked personality tests because oh my God, these four letters just totally get me. IQ tests are exactly the same. Life isn't so simple. I'm sorry if that scares you. From a person who's taken a psych course, it's not like I, I we, we stepped in there day one, they're like, okay, yeah, intelligence is exactly this sentence and IQ tests perfectly measure intelligence. Case closed. It was competing ideas as to what intelligence is, how it should be defined, what it should encompass, and of course, therefore, how to measure it. There are many different tests for different ideas of mental capability and debate over the value of IQ tests, which is something that I'm not, you know, seven years out going to be able to recount in its entirety. You've probably seen those people who can look at a bit of paint and in four seconds, know exactly how to produce that paint, the exact color. And we'll look at it, put it down, grab some things, squeeze them together and produce the exact paint identically. Is that intelligence? There are people who can watch a person do a handful of dance moves or some, some karate moves or something and be immediately able to replicate that just by looking at it once. Is that intelligence? There are people who can see a skyline of houses and immediately replicate that in painting, both memorization and painting. Is that intelligence? These things aren't necessarily gonna be assessed in an IQ test. There are people who can understand their own emotional well-being and that of others 
almost intuitively, like they can grasp what a person is feeling very easily while other people can't. Is that intelligence? We call that emotional intelligence. Some people say that exists. Some people, they, they, they dismiss it as an idea of intelligence. There are many examples of things like this that are tangentially related to the more colloquial ideas of intelligence that are, that are simply problem solving. If you ask a person what is intelligence, they usually give you some mumbled idea of, well, it's extrapolating from a limited amount of information to reach correct conclusions. And that kind of thing you will probably see assessed in an IQ test. But that cannot be the full spectrum of intelligence. You can find people who are great at mathematics who fail in like every other aspect of interfacing with the real world in terms of achieving their goals. Is it intelligence if you're able to influence people readily to do things that you want them to do? There are smart people who, who are completely lost for words, who can't communicate their own ideas or, or influence other people to achieve things. And there are people who may suck at mathematics but can do that instantly, you know? Is rote memorization like the be-all and end-all of intelligence? Like, for example, people consider chess to be like really up there in terms of, uh, you know, an evidence of you being an intellectual. But there are people who have greater chess who are fucking morons, who are just able to memorize board locations. It's a, it's a complicated topic, intelligence. It isn't something you can just reduce to a number. There are people who have ridiculously high IQs who achieve fucking nothing in life and walk around all day just saying, you know, I have a high IQ. It's just foolishness. I know it's really appealing on any topic to be like, what is the simple answer that I can like write down in a single sentence? But life just isn't usually that way, especially in the, especially in the social sciences. Crafting a, a test that can work universally all over the world, irrespective of any other variable, social socioeconomic status, culture, you just geographic location, language, almost on the outset, impossible, right? People treat IQ tests like they're divinely inspired by some super being. <laughs> and they, they spit out a number that is just flawless, except that obviously you can study for IQ tests and get better at them over time. So it can't possibly assess some innate aspect of you. Like the original IQ tests were just made to assess people's likelihood of doing well in secondary study and to suggest whether or not you might be struggling in school. Those who made them did not suggest it was a be all and end all assessment of intelligence. It was just meant, you know, as a rough guide to suggest if a person needed help. And obviously people can do shit in university and whatnot and still be very smart or achieve great things in this world. Yeah, so I guess that's my little rant then. Is content creation harder than most other jobs? So we've definitely talked about this sentiment in rambles before, but it went a little bit viral on Twitter again. Rhyme posts, content creation is harder than most jobs and 99% of people can't handle it. So this got like 6,000 likes, but one of the top responses was a post that got 100,000 likes. Content creators, when they realize they have to watch TikToks and play video games tomorrow. And there's Jimmy Neutron freaking out. So this guy, Dimitri, t tries to defend the first person by saying, you need to play a game you don't enjoy for 30 plus hours in order to get 10 minutes worth of content. Imagine being an esports guy being forced to play Valorant CS2 nonstop for months, no other games for more than one hour as it's against a contract or whatever. What this dude has described, needing to do things you don't want to do for money, it's called a job. This dude's defense of the idea of content creation being harder than other jobs is just describing what you have to do in a job. Everyone who has a job has to frequently continuously do things they don't really want to do for money. The, the lack of self-awareness. Bring it back to this original point. It's so hard to define the difficulty involved in being a content creator because what every content creator has to do is wildly different. You have people who once a week turn on their camera, speak about some random shit they saw on Twitter, like I'm doing right now, for like 20 minutes. And that's their entire job. Then you have other people who the timeline of Adobe Premiere, it just looks utterly insane, baffling, barely even able to be understood. And they sit there for like 
16 hours a day for like a month to get like one video out and that pays their bills, you know? There are clearly very easy jobs in content creation and very easy jobs in more traditional fields. And there are very hard lives in content creation and very hard lives in other traditional jobs, right? They're just not super comparable. This statement, 99% of people can't handle it. It's like, I probably couldn't handle being a butcher or a baker or a doctor. That's because I have no skills in those areas, right? I think anyone, if in the right circumstances and given the right tutelage or, or mentorship or whatever, could be a successful content creator. It's just most people aren't in a situation to be able to not be good at it for a long time to build up those skills. Like any job, it's just something that you get better at over time. You can compare my older footage to my current footage and see that I've become a better speaker. I know more of what I'm doing. My content gets better. My editing gets better. There are many difficulties involved with it. As you can see by me uh, being not all, not the best all the time. But I, I don't agree with this, that it's harder than most jobs or that 99% of people can't handle it. That's just nuts. I do think the flip side of this happens quite a bit as well, where people don't realize how much work goes into content creation and how, much, how many difficulties you have in doing it and how grueling the process of editing can be. So you have people who dismiss it as a job at all, as if it's just nothing but fun and games. It's just playing video games and, and you just become successful playing video games. Like if, if you record yourself next time you play a video game and then watch it back and see how amazingly boring it is, then no one in their right minds would ever want to watch it. It's harder than you might think to make video games interesting in a way that, they, that people would want to watch them. The only time that you can just chill and play video games and have an audience is when you're already successful, when you've done enough work that people just use you as background noise. But that is, that takes a long fucking time to get to. As a person who has worked many jobs prior to becoming successful as a content creator, how I look at this job is that the rewards are disproportionate to the difficulties. As in like, what I do right now is probably like, three times more strenuous than any other job that I've had in terms of its level of responsibility, annoying things that can happen and difficulties and stuff. But the amount of enjoyment I get out of it is also like 50 times more than any other job that I've had. And the financial reward is like 50 times more than any other job that I've had. And the satisfaction I feel and the creativity sustaining me and, and fulfilling me and all that jazz, 50 times any other job that I've had. So it may be more difficult, but it's astronomically more rewarding. There's probably a lot of mental strength and the constant hate online. As I say, different content creators are in different spots in their careers and in what they're doing. Not all content creators are at a level where they get a constant barrage of hate or need to engage with it in any capacity. It is, yes, tiring and overwhelming at times. But, uh, you know, it's not like you don't get hate in other jobs as well. Any person who's worked like a, a fast food job, having to deal with uh, rude customers and stuff, any in job where you have to interact with people, you're going to experience hate and annoyance and, and all that jazz. It, it's a part of having a job, you know? I will say though, much of the difficulties I'm having right now and I have been having for the last couple of months has seemingly very little to do with the actual creation of content. It just seemed like, like physically, I'm not feeling well. With that being said, writing this essay that I'm writing has uh, certainly been a huge strain on me as well. I don't know, man. I just hope I can get back to being good at this shit. Would I stop soon being a content creator? A part of me thinks I'm just gonna have to. I don't want to, but I've just been in a bad spot for so long, you know? Do you think it's worth becoming a content creator? Harkening back to what I just said before, there are some jobs as a content creator that are amazingly difficult and not at all rewarding. And so you probably wouldn't want to be those people. But there are some jobs that are ridiculously easy and massively rewarding. And so you probably want to be those people. Content creator just describes a ridiculous amount of different people. My YouTube members now have early access to my newest videos.
YouTube has finally implemented the most obvious feature of all time. Members can now see my videos early. YouTube has made it so you can set videos to members only and then schedule them to go public. Previously, if you wanted to schedule them, they had to be made private to everyone. So now when videos are complete, I will be setting them to member only and then scheduling them to go public at their regular time later. For non-members, there is no change. Videos will still release exactly when they would have prior. For members, you can now see stuff a little bit early, sometimes. Members also get all the other benefits that actually have a bit more value as I'm dual streaming on YouTube now. Yeah, so like, I might upload a video and it might not release for four days. But now if you're a member, you'll just see it when I upload it. May not even have a thumbnail or a title yet. I'll just try and title it something that kind of makes sense for you early people. I'm hoping this doesn't negatively impact videos, but you'd assume it doesn't or else why would they put this feature? So I guess we'll see. I am a better gamer than you are. So it's become a bit of a meme on my VOD channel because people are seeing like the unedited versions of a lot of my old footage, especially from the casual games that I play. Everyone continuously insults me and calls me a bad gamer. And to that I say, fucking 1v1 me, I will destroy your entire bloodline. And there's a little dancing gif of Weevil. I am good at games chat. I will say this until I'm blue in the face. When you're playing something casually and reading Twitch chat and you're not trying to be good at stuff, of course you're going to look bad and you don't see how bad you are at video games because you don't you're not examining every inch of what you're doing and you don't see when you make mistakes you have inflated sense of your own ability to play video games me i at least have some metrics you know when i played mobas i was top 10 percent all the time often way higher than that i have beaten some of the hardest games ever i speed ran dark souls at least somewhat you're not a bad game you're just blind to instructions and hints that's true i will often miss small details but that's often part because of chat a sleep physician managed to completely demoralize me. So I went to see a sleep physician today and all my hopes of like an easy resolution or him knowing something interesting uh, was entirely dashed. He seemed to be like the most disinterested doctor I've ever seen. And I wonder if the only reason he's in a particular specialty is so he's guaranteed to see patients or something. Charge me like 320 bucks for was it, maybe like 15, 20 minutes talking to me. Did absolutely nothing. And uh, I think the public health coverage will give me back like half that. The money doesn't matter that much, I, I guess, but it just seems like such a waste. And ultimately, he gave me new information I didn't know. Didn't suggest any like radical change to my diet or anything. I didn't even ask about my diet and stuff. He, he's like, yeah, we'll test you for sleep apnea. And uh, I'll send you an email later, maybe, who knows? Bye, I'm like, ah, oh, sweet. So it looks like I'm condemned to this hell of always feeling tired. At least it didn't make it worse. I mean, I'm demoralized now. I wasn't demoralized before. Progress on my home renovation. Oh, so I got a lot of things coming up in my live chat. But it's so annoying that every single thing that I want done has some issues, right? So my front door, putting a new door, I think it'd be a simple process. But because I want it larger than the original door, there's a cutout from my tiles that are underneath it. And so I'm going to have to get new tiles to replace them. I know how easy this is going to be. It's going to be hell. Getting new carpet, I have to move all my furniture. My complicated PC setup, all the stuff in there. My servers have to come out of the cupboard. Holy shit, how hard is that going to be? Those things are heavy. Going to move my bed. The side panel thing, the the, the, sorry, the side walkway is going to be cemented. Then I have to get tiles for that later because it's not the same dude. I'm getting a cover for my air conditioner so it doesn't look ugly outside. To be fair, once it's done, it's done. It won't be overly difficult. The yeah, exactly. Once I run out of things to think of to make my house better, it's done. Answering your most interesting questions. How are you liking streaming on YouTube again, Viper Love? 
Streaming on just YouTube wasn't all that good, but streaming on both is good. My viewership on Twitch doesn't suffer. I just get extra viewers and, and technically extra money. The hassle is only minor, and I'm hoping that either Lee, my mod who's making something for me, that might pan out and make things even easier, or that additional tools will now be made because Twitch officially says that you can multi-stream. Is it annoying hard to read two chats? I'm hoping to eventually get a thing that combines them together, but um, uh, restream.io is ugly to read and doesn't have verse chat. Best way to combat mental health issues along the lines of depression and anxiety. The best way is not to ask a Twitch streamer. I don't know you. I don't know your particular circumstances. I have a psych degree, that, but that does not make me qualified in any way, shape or form to answer these questions, right? There are mental health professionals for a reason. In the same vein, you wouldn't ask, like, how do I repair your car? I know nothing about your car. In the same way, I know nothing about your current mental state. I can say ways that I've done better, I suppose, a little bit, but I, I, I'm not, I don't have the greatest mental health to begin with. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to potentially poke someone down the wrong path. If you catch me in a different, in a different mood, I will tell you how I've improved a bit, but um, I don't want to go down that road right now. Opinions on small creators reacting to huge channels. Obviously gonna be less harmful, and I don't really think they're gonna get anywhere in a significant way. Like certainly there are many small creators who I've seen blow up reacting to just anything under the sun, just spamming out videos. It's the same method, right? Getting a few million subscribers, but I've yet to see a channel go from like zero subscribers to say 10 million subscribers, just re-uploading everyone's videos. Because at the end of the day, reaction content is to some degree a saturated market. There's only so much of that content that ever really needs to be put out. And as well, like reaction videos are just at the end of the day videos. Like if you want to spam out reaction videos, you're still having to compete in the whole ecosystem of YouTube for the limited eyeballs and stuff. And you're you're competing with all the already successful channels. And so it doesn't mean you're gonna instantly succeed by releasing six videos a day. It's just you're gonna have a better time of it than a person who has to do all the work themselves and release one video every two weeks. Obviously, small reactors are gonna have a lesser impact in the market than larger reactors, and therefore I'm less concerned, but I still think it is garbage. There's no reason why you can't just make a response video, a commentary video, whatever, where you've seen the video beforehand, you make your own video, and then you happen to use someone else's videos or parts of it rather to give some context. You know, you should be making your own stuff and using some other stuff that a person's made to make it better, not reacting to something just so you can copy someone else's video. What is your opinion of YouTube implementing DIM, disabling screen recordings like Netflix? I have absolutely no idea how Netflix does that. I have at times wanted to capture like one frame or just like a small clip for a meme. And I, I was like, oh, the, the, the movie's on Netflix, great. And so I go and try to capture it and it doesn't work capturing with OBS. It would certainly be of a major hindrance to a lot of content creators because there can be legitimate reasons why you would need to look up a YouTube video, say during a live stream, like a tutorial or something. Or you could need, you want to look up your own YouTube videos and watch them or whatever. Certainly it would stop many of the things that I don't like and I think in terms of preventing things that I don't like, you know, reaction content, the amount of effect that would have would probably be significant. And I would consider that to be worth it for the trade-offs that we'd have to make where, you know, we, we couldn't just watch YouTube on, on a live stream for, for legitimate reasons. Do I think YouTube would do that? No. And I'm not sure they can do that because, I again, I don't know how Netflix does it. But um, interesting thought. I haven't thought of that. If you turn off hardware acceleration in your browser, it works. Well, yeah, I, I should have said that. Obviously, there are going to be ways around things like this. There's forever a battle between security and nefarious actors who are trying to get in to start to, to do whatever the security is trying to defend. And that will always be the case. New security comes out, they find a better new way in, 
more security comes out, they find a way in, and then you just got to keep building up. And as I say, the more barriers to entry you make, eventually it's just not worth it. Like, I, I'm, you could probably crack effectively anything if you spend a thousand years on it, but you'd be dead by then, and it wouldn't be worth it. In this TikTok, Mr. Beast says he could start a new YouTube channel without his face and voice and have 20 million subscribers in six months purely based on his knowledge. I could start a new channel tomorrow with not using my face or my voice, like without ever promoting it, and in six months have 20 million subscribers. Yeah. It's purely knowledge. Like, yeah. if you knew what I knew, you could get 10 yeah. million views a video yeah. and you could get 10 million subscribers no matter where you are right now within six months. Do you agree with him that he could do it or is the luck aspect of YouTube too big? Go watch that video where I critiqued Ludwig's kind of attempt to do this, where getting that knowledge is in a large part luck. But the reason why I'd be skeptical that Mr. Beast would be able to get 20 million subscribers is because the types of content that you can even get 20 million subscribers with is not many, right? If we list the amount of channels that have 20 million subscribers, it's not many. And they're either people who were at there at the start of a particular form of content or are in their own league in a particular type of content, like the spectacle kind of content Mr. Beast has. It wouldn't be the knowledge that'd be important for Mr. Beast. It'd be the endless amounts of resources that he has at his fingertips. You know, the tens of millions of dollars, all the connections, all the resources, the people as, as well, the insane amount of editors and all that jazz. Like he could snap his fingers and pump out like endless videos instantly. But do I think he could make a successful YouTube channel? gets millions of views or a couple of million subscribers maybe in six months, sure. 20 million though, I think is a bit too much. But like, if for example, he just grabs some random dude who was charismatic, attractive, good voice, and had him just make Mr. Beast videos on a new channel, I, I do think they do well. <laughs> I'm not sure how fast it would grow, but I, I, I'd be very surprised if that didn't get go somewhere. Like if you're spending millions of dollars on videos, it's gonna get some notice somewhere, right? There's a lot of luck involved in YouTube as there is in any form of success. But once you become successful and you have all the benefits that success brings and you if you want to keep them and start again, then yeah, you're going to have an easier time than the average person. There is one thing that Mr. Beast can definitely succeed in though, hitting that like and subscribe button, which I recommend you do as well. Thank you for watching and I wish you all the best.